Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I am Joe Whitney, and with me, as always, is Dave Campbell. What's up, Dave? Hey, not much, Joe. Just uh, happy to make it to another Friday. Oh, man, I love it. End of the week is here. Well, uh, we've got a we've got a great episode ahead of us. Uh, we have to introduce our guest here. I mean, we don't have to. We just let you sit back there and, and soul. <laughs> uh, we've got Brian. And how do I say your last name? Is it just Pogue? It's Pogue. Just Just like Rogue, but with a P. Ah, love it, man. Love it. All right. So I didn't mess that up. Um, So we've got Brian Pogue. And Brian, you're with a really cool company that we talk about quite often, Raken. So uh, glad to have you on this episode. Yeah, Joe and Dave, thanks for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. Great, great. Well, before we get too too down the the rabbit hole here, Dave, I got to ask you, man, what are you drinking? Hey, dude. So uh, I'm 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 pretty happy about what I brought this week. You know, I, it's a little early, but uh, uh, for me, it's five o'clock somewhere, right? But <laughs> I uh, I had the opportunity. I was looking at the store the other day and kind of trying to figure out what I wanted. I'm you know I'm a big whiskey guy, and uh, I found a a local Oregon made whiskey. It's called Four Spirits, and um, it, it's awesome. But the reason I chose this one is because um, Four Spirits Distillery is actually a, uh, they're like a veteran-ran uh, business, and a distillery, and um, all the proceeds for the bottles that they sell um, go to the uh, families and um, other veterans, like actual programs in uh, their local areas uh, to assist veterans with um, learning, transitioning back into civilian life after deployments or, you know, just different things like that. Uh, so it's a very good cause. So I got some of that, and I'm actually polishing this off. So I figured I'd follow it up with a little bit of that Jameson cold brew, since it's still, you know, decently early. I thought I'll drink a little bit of coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it, man. Uh, Brian, are you drinking anything? Uh, or are you just uh, hydrating on some water over there, preparing? You know, it's it's a little early here, but I I do have I have a Saint Archer Mexican Lager right here. Ooh. Just uh, a little a little day drinking beer. Nice. Love it. Love Very it. light. Those are good. They're really good. And St. Archer's a nice, you know, we're, we're based here in Carlsbad, California, which is North County, San Diego. And uh, which, you know, San Diego is a pretty hotbed of micro brews and, and different breweries. And St. Archer is one of the, the bigger ones that's kind of localized here. So always happy to support awesome. local breweries. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, Carlsbad, uh, Legoland, right? That's it, man. We got uh, yeah. Legoland's uh, two exits away from our office. Nice. Yeah, I took my kids down there last year for Christmas. It was a it was a very cool time. It's a nice little spot. Yeah, they've done a nice job with it. They've expanded it, built a nice couple of hotels around it. So yeah, no, it's it's a great little spot. Yeah, nice. definitely. Yeah, I'm a sucker too for uh, Mexican lagers. If I can get a lime or a couple of limes in there, oh, dude, okay. those things all day. Sign me up. They go down real smooth. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed they do, and you can drink several of them, which I love. It's it's perfect hammock. Uh, Hammock alcohol. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, I am drinking not something something not as light. I should have. I, I 
just didn't make it to the beer store. Uh, I am uh, still sipping on this scotch that I'm actually just about finished with. Um, Ab- Aberfeldy, it's made by uh, or imported by Doers. Um, I'm day drinking as well, so it's watered down. But uh, <laughs> hey, man, it's brewing with Bam. Got to got to have something in hand. Yep, yep, yep. And you know, it, it, it's funny, but I, I love. Um... One of those things that loosens you up a little bit, right? Um, our, our podcast, I love the format of it, how we are a little, you know, loose. We're kind of free flowing. And I think, uh, like, it does, of course, you don't have to drink, but I, I like the fact that I think it does kind of help break the ice a little bit, you know, and people um, at conferences, right? When I go to conferences and after, uh, you know, a day of, of sitting in sessions and things like that, you get out and you go sit with somebody and have a couple drinks, and it generally inspires conversation. You know, and it's 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 generally a good conversation that you have and, and being able yeah. to break that ice, man. I think that it all just goes hand in hand with it. I, I am actually missing conferences right now for that very reason. I don't really care for, the, you know, I'm over the travel. I'm over that part of it. But uh, just being able to conferences and gauging in good conversation, which, uh, Brian, I imagine you've been to quite a few conferences. Yeah, Absolutely. Definitely, both both with uh, not not as many with Raken, but definitely in in my travels in the industry, been to a yeah. lot of them. It's it's a big part of uh, you know the kind of social aspect and sharing new and exciting things in the industry. Yeah, I agree. It's they're really great 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 things to participate in. Yeah, friendships of force, that sort of stuff. So you mentioned uh, before Raken uh, when you were in industry. Um, so tell us a little bit about your background. Where did you come from? Uh, what got you into this? this uh, wonderful industry and how you landed at Raken. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I was born in Redondo Beach, California and, and bounced around the country quite a bit as, as I was growing up. And I went to high school in Scottsdale, Arizona, and uh, I graduated high school in 2008. And so while I was in high school, we uh, got to experience one of the biggest uh, residential commercial construction booms in, in human history, especially in Phoenix area. And a bunch of my neighbors were real estate developers and they were uh, driving Lamborghinis and Range Rovers and living in million dollar houses. And so when my parents asked me what I wanted to study in college, I said, whatever it is that I can do what they do. And so uh, I found construction management and uh, I got into Cal Poly, went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and studied construction management. And uh, luckily I I entered, luckily for me, not for the, uh, the world, but I entered college right as the recession hit in 2008. And got to essentially experience that from the comfort of college, and so uh, watched the industry completely change over the next four years, and um, watched honestly the the Phoenix um, kind of real estate market crumble there, which was really unfortunate. But it was a good learning experience for me. And so when I graduated, I decided to go into the kind of traditional general contractor world. Um, I had done a couple internships with Sunt and DPR, and then I went to work full time in San Diego with Turner Construction Company. Um, and so I started there and I, I was a project, or actually I was a field engineer for a year and then I was a project engineer for a year and a half. And then I was, a, an assistant superintendent for a year and, uh, got to work on some incredible projects. I was on the uh, terminal four expansion down here in San Diego airport. Um, I helped build Semper energy, which is a large energy uh, provider in the Southern California area. I built their headquarters in downtown San Diego, overlooking, uh, the ballpark there in downtown San Diego, which was incredible. And then I actually got asked by an executive at Turner to move up to Los Angeles. And I helped build uh, the Great Wolf Lodge, which is an indoor water park in in Garden Grove, Orange County, California. And then 
I got to be a superintendent on the Wilshire Grand Tower in downtown Los Angeles, which is the uh, at the time was the tallest building on the West Coast, 72-story tower in downtown LA. Very iconic, beautiful building. And uh, after that, I kind of got burnt out of the GC thing, so I decided to go work for a developer and uh, went and worked for a developer for a couple of years as a project manager and built a, a 26-story high-rise multi-use building, again, in downtown LA and learned a lot there, really, really learned how, how to how a business was run and how to, you know, got closer to the money and understood the financial part of construction. And then after that, I uh, decided I wanted to kind of try something different. And so I went to work for WeWork and that's the co-working company that was exploding over the last, you know, five years until they had their crazy decline. And so I joined them in August of uh, 2018 and uh, as a project manager and was building out co-working space. And all around Southern California, I built jobs in El Segundo, in Long Beach, in West Hollywood, in Irvine, and in Burbank, and um, opened uh, you know a couple hundred thousand square feet of co-working space for them. And then, as they uh, tried to IPO and then failed, and then had a massive, massive decline, I saw the writing on the wall and um, had been using Raken actually as a project manager at WeWork and was pretty blown away by the product and the software and the capabilities. And I actually had a couple contacts at the company. So they reached out to me and we started talking and uh, kind of decided to, to make a move and, and jump into the software game and uh, came on board as their construction support manager uh, in February of this year and have really been enjoying kind of uh, experiencing a new world, you know, leveraging the, the, the knowledge and experience that I had in the last 10 years or so in the construction industry. But but learning all about software and, and how we're, we're building tools to help kind of uh, make things more efficient, streamline processes, and, and overall improve the industry. So it's been been a really great journey so far. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. That's great. I, I love, I love uh, you know, we're having this conversation with Joey and I talk about this quite often, like bridging that gap, right? And, and getting access to that data, of course, making sure that everyone has access to the data, but again, also making sure that uh, the interface, the software itself is easy to navigate. You know, it's easy to understand. Reports are easy to pull. Like that data, that information is easy to get to. And that's no, no, no question, man. Absolutely. I mean, that's one of the biggest things, especially when you deal with an industry like construction that truly has been slow to adapt technology, to really embrace technology. Because in, in, the, real, you know, in the eyes of, of old school construction people, we don't need it. You know, we've been building for hundreds, millions of years without technology. Why do we need it now? Um, but then you start to realize that that there is a lot of improvements, a lot of efficiencies that can be made that can help to make projects safer, more efficient, make more money. But again, exactly, without having that extreme ease of use in that initial interface, then everything downstream is completely irrelevant. If you can't capture the data effectively, often and accurately, then yeah, I mean, everything else is completely null and void. And so that's Raken's really, that's been their success, is their number one approach has been how do we get in the eyes and the viewpoint of a superintendent, of a foreman, of a supervisor out in the field. You know, they're built, they're made to build. That's why they get paid. And they, they don't get paid to fill out paperwork. They don't get paid to use, you know, fancy apps. And so it's how do we boil it down to something that they can really pick up and intuitively understand within a couple of seconds and start capturing that data. Because once you get over that initial hurdle of, okay, this is pretty easy to use. My field team's embracing it. They're getting me this information on a daily basis. That's where the conversation shifts. And now it's, oh my gosh, what am, what can we do with this data? 
that we now have that we have never actually had before. We've always had ways to kind of get an idea, kind of a blended rate of certain things, or we get this information two weeks later and we don't know how accurate it is, but to have that accurate data on a daily basis, that's where it really starts to have these interesting conversations with people in the office of, man, how can I use this to make my projects better? Oh yeah, I completely agree. Uh, Joey and I kind of talk about this. I think we did talk about this last podcast as well, but having more information than you need is generally a good thing because at that point you could start figuring out how can we use this, right? How can we kind of um, analyze this data or what can we use from this to push forward to better our next projects? But man, I think you touched on a, a, another key point there um, is just with construction and, and construction personas, right? Um, throughout this whole change, the adoption of technology, it has been older, I mean, it has been harder for the older kind of generations to um, to get that, right? To, to really adopt or, or get into technology, but at the same time, not. You know, um, from what I've seen, if you make that interface, you know, easily navigatable, um, you make that information, you know, kind of, um, I don't want to say, uh, it, of course, easy to access, but also easy to input, right? And and, and you 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 make it in a it's sense that they really yeah. boils down to yeah. yeah I understand, understand what you're trying it. to say, man. I got you. Well, uh, the big thing is, is when you get when you get there, when you when you show the field personnel, the superintendents, the foremen, the people who have the like years of experience in managing these projects, when you show them, when you can get them interactive, like with that software with that platform, if you can get them into it, they're going to be your biggest front runners, right? At that point, they're going to be the biggest pushers of this because they see how it helps. No question. Got to make it like easy to adopt. That's how no. te technologies like PlanGrid and Bluebeam and all those other ones, you, you, it's all it's the same thing. Like if you get it in the field guy's hands, that's where it starts to grow. It doesn't grow from the office and then and then to the field. You've really got to get it in those guys' hands. And I think you guys have done a tremendous job at that. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I, and you know, I can tell you when I when I was at WeWork, be, be, when I first joined, we were not using Raken, and we had kind of like a like a like a Bluebeam PDF fillable that we had for our daily reports. And uh, I, you know, we had some salty old dogs, what I used to call them. You know, they were really good builders. <laughs> but these dudes, you know, they drove Harleys, they drank whiskey, and they built. And they and they, they they weren't paperwork <laughs> guys. But you know what? They knew how to build, and that was that's the value, and that's an, an incredible value is someone who really knows and understands how to build effectively and understands all of the complex intricacies of all of these different subcontractor tiers and, and all these different code regulations. And, and they knew all the inspectors. I mean, there was so much value with them that you can't discount that, but they just didn't like it. And so, you know, for the first few months we were building this team, we weren't getting daily reports and, you know, we were hitting on them and harping on them and following up with them and trying to make it as easy as possible, but it just didn't happen. And we got raking and uh, I was skeptical for sure, as anyone would be. And, and, and within the first day, I got a daily report from this guy. And his name was Brian also. And I just, oh my God, what? And so I looked at it and it was pretty nice. And then the second day I got another daily report and this one was even better. Had more information, more photos. The third time I got another daily report and this one had some quality control report, you know, inspections and some safety notes and more photos and all the... Finally, by Thursday, I called him. And I said, Brian, what is going on? Like, who's doing this for you? Like, did you get one of your, you know, some some young gun out in the field to do all this? He goes, No, Brian, this is all me. He goes, This thing is incredible. It saves me time. 
it saves me energy. As I'm walking around every day, I'm taking photos, I'm logging this stuff. It, it's reminding, it's helping me remember things that I need to follow up on. He goes, at three o'clock when I lock the door to the job site, I'm in my truck and I'm gone. I'm not sitting there filling out paperwork for 45 minutes. I'm not calling you to you know, talk about how, why I'm not filling out the PDF. He's like, I'm out the door. And this thing, he goes, this is a lifesaver. And to hear that from this guy who barely even knew how to use an iPhone, I was just like, this is unbelievable. I don't know what they've tapped into, but they figured out how to get in the mind of a superintendent who wants to build and doesn't want to fill out paperwork, but still recognizes that capturing things and documenting things is an important part of the business. And so, yeah, that's that's where I, I became a believer. That's That's remarkable. So like you literally got to witness this guy going from like, you know, don't want to adopt technology to with each report, it seems like he was landing and expanding on, on the additional functionality on it. Like he was just growing in it. He was, he was, uh, uh, you know, taking on all the, the extra little, uh, things that he could see in there, yeah. like pressing all the buttons and, and, and it was a, and it was a daily, and it was a daily discovery. It wasn't like this took three, four weeks. It was like by Thursday I had, this guy was using every functionality possible on that, on that app. I couldn't believe it. That is awesome. So, uh, over, over the years, like we've had this race to digital construction and there's been, always been a few things missing, right? One is, you know, there's got to be an attitude shift. We always talk about the old guy that's been there forever. And, you know, it's like it's, you know, we use this analogy of prying an Excel spreadsheet out of an old estimator's hands. Yeah. But but, you know, that said, you know, there, there's a lot of value in the way they do things in their mindset because they know how to how to. Build. They know, you know, they know everything about it. They know everybody they need to be involved. They need to know, they know what to worry about where and when at what point in time it actually becomes an issue. They know all this stuff and when to check for it. And, um, you know, really tapping into that and, and being able to, we talk about digitizing construction and BIM and all that sort of stuff to really capitalize on it. You have to get those guys the hardest to adopt, to adopt it. And the UI, you know, we talk about iPhones and iPads and, you know, Android devices and this and that. And, and it doesn't matter. Everybody knows how to use a smartphone. We all know how to use mobile, you know, iPads and tablets. It's, you know, is it worth the extra time it takes to open that application, to, to funnel through all the, the functionality to capture that data? Well, sounds like you guys have a pretty good uh, handle on that. Yeah, no, we really do. And, and, you know, a lot of it, and you nailed it on the head, where a lot of really successful construction companies have, some particular individuals, whether it's a superintendent, a general superintendent, an, a chief estimator, an operations manager, a GM, who they have an incredible amount of knowledge and experience. And they have been very successful in the construction industry because of their grit, because of the time they put into it, and because of their intelligence. And it's incredible. And But the idea behind that is if and when that person retires, which they will eventually, we have this campfire knowledge is the term I've heard where this individual has all this information, but unless they are able to share it and train the up and coming leaders of the company, then that knowledge dies with them when they leave the company and the company then loses a ton of value. If we can leverage software to not only be able to capture data that these people already know, but then to document it and leverage that as a training tool for the next generation of leaders in the construction industry, that is where an incredible amount of value leads for companies. Because if I've got a, a superintendent like the guy that I was working with, this guy knew how to build in and out. 
But the best thing, and honestly, he was the one who confided this to me, is he said one of the best things about his position at this point in his career was he was doing all of this so that he could show the assistant superintendents working for him who were, you know, late 20s, early 30s, hungry, excited. They could then learn faster how to build so they'd be even more prepared to take over when he wants to retire. And he's like, by documenting this, by giving them a tool to be able to go back and reference on, on, on and seeing the sequencing of a project, seeing the hurdles that we came across, seeing how he managed disputes, how he leveraged the information he captured to go and handle disputes, all of that. He said, that's the biggest part of this. And that's, I think, a huge part of the software kind of technology is, is how do we document all of this and create a path? for people to learn from so that we can le leverage and teach the next generation of leaders on how to how do we build and how do we manage construction really effectively. Man, I agree. You made a lot of good points there. A lot of good points. Uh, managing that construction information is, is just huge. And again, putting it in the hands of the right people um, kind of helps push that, right? But also, you know, we have that huge uh, gap in our industry, that knowledge gap, right? Because as you said, when these guys, when they leave, they take it with them. And a lot of times, even when they when they get older and they retire, people retire and they take that information with them. They take that knowledge and they and they go. If we can, you know, put that that into uh, something fathomable, something that we can use with younger generations like uh, in apps or um, in, in templates or whatever it is, something that we can utilize and, and, and move or <laughs> use moving forward, you know, it's only going to, um, I, I guess, better everything for everyone involved. But I also think, you know, getting these older um, individuals or, or more experienced individuals, not even just older, just more experienced, uh, involved in the training, right? Let's say the adoption of this, these softwares of these apps, these workflows, as they're younger, right, are coming in, right, we have this kind of um, symbiotic relationship, this rotation. And if we can get into that rotation of where we have them kind of training on this software, but also, you know, what's great about that is the younger generation is usually a lot quicker to adopt this technology, to adopt and push for this software, right? Um, and, and, uh, and you'll see that uh, some have I want to say wider views of how to use it, right? Because sometimes when we get in, we get stuck in our ways, right? And and you see, you have tunnel vision, is what I want to say. No question. You have, tunnel, you, have you get tunnel vision. You know what you do. You know what you use. But when you get a new person, new mindset, somebody that looks at it from outside of the box, and they say, "Wow, you know what? We can really use this information in a different way. What if we did this? What if we did that?" And I think that's a huge, another kind of huge proportion of what you guys do, and 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 how it's constantly still affecting our industry, like these apps, these this data management. Um, it, it's still, you know, uh, we're we're pushing forward. It's still disrupting, right? I mean, it's still growing. We're seeing how this is. Um, really pushing our industry forward. You know, um, just the other day, somebody asked me uh, why, you know, we talk about construction apps or construction management on, on a BIM podcast. And I had to sit back for a second and I'm thinking like, well, I mean, I get what you're saying, you know, but I, I think at the same time, this, even if it, it's daily reports, if it's timesheets, if it's, you know, RFI tracking, it, it's it's managing data, that information, right? The big eye of BIM. We're managing that information to, again, manage that model or manage that building because that's the biggest portion out of all of this. It, it, it's managing that information downstream so that everybody involved has access to it. But again, it's easy to input and it's easy to pull out. 
Yeah, and and at the end of the day, really, if we're talking about BIM, we're talking about handover. Uh, we're talking about the information that we provide to the owners. Where are you tracking that information anyways? Most often it's a construction application, PDF application, whatever. It's something that's built for the field and not necessarily for the office. So it's pretty pretty interesting to to see the the you know crossing paths with you know construction management software, project management software, and the whole you know BIM ecosystem. Really, I think it's it's got to be holistic, right? From a technology approach, but um, you know what good yeah. is tracking the BIM side of things if you're not going to track if you're what good is plugging all this information model if you're you're not going to do anything with it on, on the job site so yep yeah you gotta you gotta have both well and i think agree. i think another huge thing is we're in a time of uh you're seeing kind of integrations right um who can integrate with who and how can you integrate and i think that's another huge key even and another push to you guys i mean i, I see you guys involved with so many different companies um, with with integrations, it's it's huge because we in, in this day and age we need that right. We don't want that that one solution where you're cornered right. You're monopolized and you can't you have to use this this and this. No, I think I think the more that we can integrate, the more that we can share this data to again acquire data right. The better that we're all going to be. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and that's so true. And and, and I agree. You know, there's been a, a big shift in the in the construction industry when as they begin to embrace technology, and, and you nailed it, is is to create these ecosystems where these different softwares can be leveraged to solve different workflows, but they're all able to communicate with each other effectively. Um, and that way, it really does streamline and simplify the ability for cro cross functionally. You know, the field team has has this one application, and they're happy, and they're capturing data that's then empowering the office, and the office is. Is, is is taking that data and putting it into a system that they're then leveraging within their ecosystem to 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 manage the projects, manage the financials, all that stuff. And then and then the accounting team is able to leverage their their scope of the work by having their ecosystem communicating with all of these together. And you're right. It just the more that we can have all these softwares communicate with each other, the more value it then provides to our clients. And and that's that's where it really starts to to really just be an incredible resource for them. I, I completely agree. Now, I guess, you know, I've, I, I love these conversations. I'm very passionate about this. I, I love I love the Raken app. I love these um, construction management apps that we're seeing uh, kind of really grow um, into what we're seeing today. I mean, I, I still see a lot of things constantly changing, even even Raken themselves. I've seen you guys kind of morph throughout this year, throughout the coronavirus, you know, and, and you guys are still staying kind of on top of things and 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 the industry and as itself continues to kind of change and 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 adapt with with what's happening but um i guess for anybody out there who doesn't know what raken is could you tell us a little bit about what raken does brian yeah absolutely so raken is uh, first a field application designed to help solve field workflows including daily reports time card tracking Dot, photo management, material and equipment tracking, and then safety and quality management. And so what we've done is we've built a an application that uh, can be uh, used on a cell phone, on a tablet, that allows end users like field supervisors, superintendents, foremen to easily capture critical project data that can then be transferred into the office and leveraged to help build better projects, make more effective business decisions, and overall manage risk 
regarding a construction project. Um, our goal is to eliminate wasted resources when it comes to accounting and payroll, like time card pieces and production tracking for subcontractors. Um, we're obviously focused on the production side there. And then with our general contractor partners, we're helping to really manage the risk associated with projects by having effective documentation, having a crystal clear window into what has happened on a job site, who was there, what did they do, what are the photos that I have to prove it, and then what am I doing to proactively uh, prevent safety incidents and proactively ensure high quality. And so we're, we're obviously, you need to be documenting that in writing because if you don't, in construction and in any industry, if you didn't document it, it never happened. And so our goal is to help really protect and empower contractors by having an easy way to capture critical field data, document it, and then leverage it in order to make their business more, more powerful. So in a way, you're doing everything that every GC longs for. You're reducing their, their liability and risk, which is, <laughs> at the end of the day, that's the name of the game. Because it's that not the name of the game. Sued, it's, it's when you get sued. No question. You know, and I, I always make this this kind of a it's kind of a, a funny story, but uh, I always say that construction as from a GC standpoint is a, is a giant game of hot potato and the hot potato is risk. And you never want to be holding that hot potato when I was, you know, work and I was especially when I was a project engineer and a project manager. My whole life was I received risk from somebody and immediately figured out who to give it to. You know, if somebody out in the field didn't have uh, enough information in order to continue building and they needed to write an RFI, I took that risk of not knowing and I immediately wrote an RFI and sent it to the design team and said, hey, here's your risk. And then when they sent it back and said, here's the answer, I said, okay, subcontractor, here's your risk back to you. Go build it. You know, it's just your, that, that's your entire life. And so if you can find an effective way to document proactive uh, things that contractors are doing in order to mitigate risk, and hopefully eliminate it, uh, then, then that helps to protect them. And, and protection is huge because exactly in the GC world, it's, it's uh, lawsuits are everywhere and you need to be able to, and even if it's not a lawsuit, it's just a dispute. You know, there are disputes all the time and, and, and differences of opinions when it comes to uh, whether or not something was a delay and whether or not something should be paid or whether or not something is in or out of scope or when something occurred. And, and so if you can have, like I said, a crystal clear window into the past and understand exactly who was on site when things happened, man, you have a lot of power. And then that can really, really be be really helpful. I agree. I agree. It's more of a shout out again to the eye of, of that information, right? We're taking all of that information and making it available. Um, I mean, that's a, a huge, huge kind of feature, I want to say, or just huge push to, again, our industry and, and making sure that we have that data. Um, I mean, there's just there's so much with it that we need, um, not only just analyzing who's on your site, but again, like who attended safety meetings and documenting that information, keeping track of that information. I remember I, I, I talk about this every once in a while, but I worked for a, a paper mill and I was a production engineer for a while. And, you know, um, it, it was a very awesome experience for me because I got to see construction from the ground up. I got to learn this building through the PNIDs and the drawings and how every system went together. And then I, I got to see and, and be a part of the construction process. But um, it was interesting because I was involved with some of these safety meetings. You know, if you're going on site today for a walkthrough, you need to be in a safety talk. You need to have that that with that conversation with the safety manager before you even go out on that site. He needs to know, you know, that you've been briefed, of course, as to what their requirements are. And then again, that you were there and you're on that site. So if anything happens, they have that information, that data 
right, to, to go and, and look for people. Or again, if you mess up, they can verify that you were at that safety meeting. Now, one of the big things that I remember from, you know, being at that point in time, I think that was right around 2012, 2013, is that uh, we would keep, you know, paper sign-in sheets. And these sign-in sheets uh, were so just easy to lose, right? One, somebody does forgets to sign in, or two, you know, you, you, you have so many of these meetings, the safety manager stacks them up in his office, or even, you know, the, the foreman st superintendent stacks them up in their office, you know, and the next thing you know, you got just stacks and stacks of these things. And, and then you're trying to go through, if anybody asks questions like, oh man, okay, let's go ahead and go through this and try to find this information of who was here. And, you know, Joe, was he on the, was he on the site today? This happened. It, it, just trying to transition through all of that, man, it's crazy. But being able to give somebody a solution to just easily look for, you know, and an easily adaptable solution, I guess, is a is a huge, huge proponent. As you were saying all that, man, the only thing I was thinking about is like disaster recovery. Like if there's something that happens at that job site to that that, you know, um, job shack with with all that paper in it, you know, what do you do? What do you do? You're as well, man. Yeah. Like. You hope somebody's digitized it somewhere, but why not just start with digitizing it in the beginning? And I guess that's why, uh, Dave, you're the biggest proponent of raking for a non-GC that I think I've ever met. Yep. I, I just, I, I mean, honestly, I, I just think it's, it's a great way to collect that data and information. And I mean, we need all of it, right? As much of it as we can get, whether it's, it's from again, monitoring who's on your site to making sure everyone does attend these toolbox talks in the morning, right? Or just who you have, again, as part of your crew, where they're going, what they're doing, keeping everybody just on a, I want to say on a schedule, but also, again, knowing where your people are, especially on these big sites, right? It's it's pretty, um, it can get a little overwhelming sometimes being a person that, you know, you need to go out and check on your people, make sure everything's going well. And then, of course, you want to see the progress, do some QAQC, take some pictures, right? And let people know how things are going. And I mean, that's a lot to balance, right? That's yeah. a lot. And cool. I think that it, it tends to, you know, information can get lost there quite a bit, Right. It just, it can. And if you're not capturing it, you're not analyzing it. But, but so we, we're going to talk about construction to we're blue in the face. That's what this podcast is about. Um, that said, man, you've had, Brian, you've had a, a tremendous rise through the big names of, of GCs. You mentioned Turner and DPR. Um, and then you worked for a very large um, developer that we actually know because I believe they're based out of uh, just where David is. In um, all that though, like, this rise that you've had, you've kind of done something off on the side. Let's talk about uh, the Aloha companies, if you will. Oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, so about four years ago, my wife and I decided that we wanted to do something a little bit more uh, outside of our traditional careers and, and try to create more of an impact, positive impact on the world. And uh, we both read uh, Blake Mykoski. He's the founder of Tom's Shoes, wrote a book called Start Something That Matters. And it really struck a chord with me. Uh, being, you know, I'm a very, very privileged person living in the United States, uh, being able to go to college and, and have a career. You know, I realize how fortunate I am. And, and the majority of people on this earth are not nearly that fortunate. And I, I would love to give back and try to provide a positive impact as much as possible. And so uh, my wife has a uh, she was my, my girlfriend and then wife. Now she studied apparel design and merchandising in college and, and was working for an apparel company in, in downtown L.A. at the time. And 
Um, I have a uh, extreme love for Aloha shirts, uh, traditional Hawaiian shirts. I have probably 35 in my closet. And um, the reason I love Hawaiian shirts is because they represent the islands of Hawaii. And the idea is that when you go to the islands, you buy a shirt, you take the aloha spirit, the kindness, the compassion, the love with you wherever you go. And it helps to spread some aloha all over the world. And I thought, man, that is such a great concept. And I love that for the Hawaiian islands. But what if we took that concept and did it with other places that exist in the world? And my immediate thought was uh, I had a friend who was from Guatemala and he had always told me about how horrible the water quality is down there and that, um, you know, one of the leading causes of, of death uh, for children there is waterborne illness and that so many children are dying all the time because they just don't have access to clean water. And uh, I also knew from taking Spanish classes my whole life in, in California and Arizona was that uh, Guatemala was an incredible textile company or sorry, sorry, country, incredible, uh, unique patterns from their Mayan heritage. And so I had this idea of what if I created shirts using the the Mayan style fabric from Guatemala, which would help empower and employ people in Guatemala, uh, buy fabric from them raw, make the shirts in downtown LA, which is an incredible apparel center and create jobs in the United States. And then with every shirt sold, what if we provide clean water access to a child in Guatemala? And so we did it. We found, uh, we found a textile supplier in Guatemala uh, made mostly by women, which is really incredible. Uh, we found a partner in downtown LA who could make our shirts for us. And we found a water partner down in Guatemala called Ecofiltro. And they provide uh, water filtration systems in homes and schools. And so uh, we launched our business idea on Kickstarter and we were able to raise $25,000 in 30 days. And we pre-sold 350 shirts and uh, we started the company. And that was back in 2016. And uh, so we, we, we started making the, the traditional Guatemalan shirts and then we expanded into T-shirts. We did uh, standard T-shirts with front pockets that had the same fabric on them. And then we expanded the, uh, the model to Nepal and we found a water partner in Nepal and fabric from Nepal and made shirts out of that. And then we expanded the model again into Hawaii, actually, and started making traditional Hawaiian shirts with fabric designed in Honolulu, Hawaii, and made in the United States. And then with every shirt sold there, we would work with the Surfrider Foundation in Oahu and um, help provide clean ocean water access on the islands of Hawaii. And so, uh, yeah, it's been an incredible journey. We've been doing that for for about four years now. And then three years ago, my wife and I were actually approached. Um, her cousin owned a small retail shop in Redondo Beach um, in this really cool area called the Riviera Village. And she was uh, uh, planning to move to the Central Coast. She and her uh, fiance had bought property up in Paso Robles. And so she was like, hey, would you guys want to open uh, a shop for your, for, your, for your apparel company? And we both said yes. And so my wife quit her job downtown at the apparel company and so we took over this retail space full time. And so uh, the company, the brand of shirts is Aloha for People and the shop, the retail location is called The Aloha Bungalow and where we sell obviously Aloha for People, but we also sell um, candles and home decor and succulents and locally made art and um, some pretty incredible fun fun things, uh, including you know shirts and hats and all that, kind of some fun beach essentials. And we've been doing that now for uh, for three years. That is awesome, man. That is truly amazing to hear that you're giving back. It's always something Dave and I chat about. We're you know parents. We're always concerned about the mark that we leave on the world. Um, you know, we're we're you know educated as well. College, all that fun stuff. Feel very privileged. 
but uh, we just haven't we haven't been as motivated, I guess, as you. So uh, kudos on that, man. And we're definitely going to include some links for everybody to to kind of jump in and and uh, click through and find out more about your companies. Um, I was doing some exploring before this call and found uh, found the Aloha for the people, and I was like, this is this is something my wife would just she'd eat up. She she yeah she'd dive in and I'd be broke again. But uh, <laughs> it's for a good cause, man, right? Yeah, that's always yeah always but, exactly. But, yeah. The Guatemala aspect is pretty interesting. I had a few friends from Guatemala. They were brothers, and um, every time they'd go back and come, you know, come here, uh, they would always bring little tchotchkes and stuff that was like made down there, like yeah. literally made, handmade. And you can tell somebody put some painstaking time in it. Something that like we couldn't bang out for the life of us, and it was just really cool. I think I actually have some some like uh, little like hand sewn dolls and stuff upstairs. Um, just really cool, like you know, well quality, well, well stitched, great quality, uh, products coming down from there. Um, so that's great that you guys are encompassing that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's an amazing country and they call it the land of the eternal spring. It is, it's just close enough to the equator that, uh, the the temperature is about 72 every day. And the people down there, I've been down there a lot now and, and the people down there are just incredible. They are hospitable. They are humble and, and they're hardworking. And, and like you said, you know, their products are really beautiful and, They've got some incredible landmarks. Uh, you know, Lake Atitlan is one of the most beautiful places on Earth. It's a it's a, a lake that was created by volcanic activity surrounding the area, and um, it's just it's an incredible little area with with, with really great people. So I, I have a I have a, a tr- tremendous amount of pride being able to work with them. That's great. Yeah, they've definitely like there's been a, a definite um, building up of the country down there uh, over the past you know 20 30 years. Uh, you know, I've heard stories. The buddy of mine that moved from there was telling me how um, he worked in an American hotel, and I guess like uh, somebody held a gun to him and told him to leave while they so they could like burn the hotel down or some crazy stuff, stuff that happened, you know, like only in movies. But this was like 30, 40 years ago, and uh, now he's he goes back there like it's a vacation. He's like, yeah, it's fine. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's incredible. You know, it's <laughs> beautiful. It's- yeah, and that's the thing, you know, it gets a bad rap because it is right in the middle of Central America and there is a lot of, you know, drug activity and, and things like that. But, you know, it's just like going to any major city. You go into parts of downtown Los Angeles and you got to be careful where, you, where you're going. And, and that's how Guatemala City is for sure. But once you leave that area, you get out in the country, you go to cities like Antigua, you know, it's incredibly safe. It's incredibly vibrant. And uh, it's just a, it's a wonderful place. So, yeah, it's de- and I agree. It has come a long way in 30 years. No question about it. So and I'm sure in the next 30 years, it will just continue to improve. Yeah, well, especially with what you guys are doing, uh, building up the, the the water supply there and partnering with that that company. That's it's an excellent thing. Not only are you providing clean water, but you're also providing jobs and the fact that they're producing textile for you here in the United States. And you're producing jobs here in the United States. So it's like win, win, win. Yeah, yeah. We're really big on, on manufacturing in, in the United States here and, and trying to create some jobs at home. So, yeah, it's it's been it's been a really exciting, really wild journey, uh, a fun adventure for sure. Cool, cool. Well, you know, I'll end this with one quick question. Um, you know, so you've got all these other businesses um, and you work for this amazing uh, tech company today. Are you starting to see how, you know, your your um, your other businesses could benefit from technology? Is that something you guys are adapting or pushing into? I know you guys got a wicked website and some cool stuff, but just curious if you always keep oh, yeah. that tech hat on. And- I, I have major tech hat, no question. So with the Aloha Bungalow, for example, we, we have an amazing point of sale system. We leverage Shopify, which is an incredible software tool that helps build our website and manage our inventory and our point of sale system. So if we sell something online, 
uh, it updates our inventory. And so that way we, and if we sell something in the store, it updates the inventory online. So everything talks to each other, which is fantastic. Um, we use QuickBooks to manage our finances and to pay our employees. And uh, we leverage a software called Homebase, which we help schedule and uh, clock in and clock out with our employees and then help pay them. Um, so yeah, I mean, we are, we are a heavy software small business and, uh, but you know, it really helps us to stay organized, to, uh, really understand inventory and really have a good understanding of kind of where we are financially with the business and, and make sure that we're paying our employees, uh, accurately and on time. So, um, I am a big proponent of, of leveraging software in order to help enable and enhance any sort of business. So, um, I always say if I'm a small business, uh, very small business, but if I can do it, then anybody can. Yeah, dude, I guess that's, that's a big kind of call to how, again, we've made that software easier to use by everyone. And I, that's kind of the goal, right? Is to, is to make it usable, but make it easy to use for everyone, uh, just so we can make that data available. That's it. Yep. It's awesome. So yeah, we're, we're very fortunate in, in, to be in this world of, of, of incredibly accessible and easy to use tech. So it's, it's definitely helping to uh, make our lives a little bit more streamlined. Perfect. All right. Well, we'll we're going to provide some links. We want, we want everybody to know more about you, uh, more about Raken and definitely more about your, your uh, um, Aloha companies, uh, Aloha for the people and the Aloha, Aloha bungalow. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you uh, you having me on. Uh, really excited to be part of the Brewing with BIM uh, family now, and, and yeah. I definitely hope to be chatting with you guys again soon. Definitely, definitely. We'd love to see. Uh, we got to keep track, of course, of how how Raken grows. You know, um, Joey is Joey's one. That he's saying it all the time, but I love I love Raken. I love these um, construction apps. I love how we can kind of transition to optimizing the data that we that we have available to us, and again, making it um, available and easy to use for everybody. I know I keep kind of pushing that, but it really is. It's 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 a big proportion to that. It's a big shout out to what you guys do, to what you have done. And uh, I'm excited to see where it goes and how it grows, right? I, I just, yeah, thanks again for coming on, Brian. And, and I do look forward to having you guys on again. We really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely be talking to you guys soon. Have you, uh, hope you have a great weekend. Thank you too.